Welcome everyone, welcome to the Simon Dan podcast, the place where science and conspiracy collide. It's episode 43, hope you're all well. Uh, sorry about last week, uh, last week I wasn't feeling too well, uh, I had the, the flu vaccination and, and um, had a little bit of a reaction to it, wasn't feeling great so we couldn't record, but we're back this week. Unfortunately Cats can't join us, he's been held up at work, so uh, I know, I know, poor Cats letting us down again, uh, it's fine, it's absolutely fine. Uh, we were going to talk about a bit of Flat Earth news because we had a bit of news, but we'll save that for next time. Uh, so what we do is, without further ado, we'll get our guest on uh, this week. So joining us this week is writer, broadcaster and all-round science enthusiast, Marcus Chown. Welcome and thank you for joining us. How are you doing? Welcome and uh, thanks for inviting me. I'm I'm fine, thank you. Um, sorry to hear that you had all that trouble with the, the vaccine. Yeah, I had the worst ever reaction to uh, the vaccine. I, 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 my wife's a nurse, and, and then the next day, I, I couldn't really see where I'd been vaccinated. You know, so I've got this horrible, shiny swelling. I, I'm not sure what it is. And she said, it's your sticking plaster. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh, that's brilliant. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, it was, it was, uh, it's actually, wor- funny enough, it was a worse reaction than the COVID vaccine, uh, this flu. Oh, this was the flu, was it? Yeah, yeah. And I know oh. there's, I think there's four different types of flu. There's four strains of flu in the vaccine. I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but yeah, with the COVID vaccine, I had a bit of a sore arm, but I didn't really have any issues. Yeah. But yeah, I had a really That's bad... Very a lot. People's yeah. reactions. I mean, I've got. I, I went out yesterday with somebody, a friend, and she, she after having the COVID vaccine, she um now what happened now she she had a rash that, that appeared on her legs okay when she ate a poached egg oh. on two occasions okay. i googled nobody else has had this reaction i think she might be a nut yeah <laughs> oh dear that's one for the uh one for the yellow card scheme people isn't it that one um <laughs> Anyway, Marcus, you obviously had a start in science somewhere. You're guest on the show for a reason. What was that and why did it interest you initially? Well, oddly enough, I'd just written an article for the Royal Literary Fund about a photograph that I found at my mum's flat. She's got dementia and, and uh, um, you know, she's kind of agitated and she, she's always sifting through her, her belongings, you know, trying to make sense of them. And a photograph appeared and it was of my dad okay. when he was 19. And uh, anyway, it made me think a lot about wh- why he bought me a book about astronomy. It was Dr. H.C. King's Book of Astronomy. He was the director of the planetarium in, the, in the, I don't know, about 1970 or something. Okay. And he bought me this book, my dad. And he bought me a small telescope, which I poked out of the window of, uh, of our upstairs flat in North London. And I looked at the jittery image of Saturn and Jupiter's moons over the, you know, the orange haze of the North Circular Road. So really, it was my dad. And I still don't know why he bought me that book. Yeah, I've got to admit, the first time I looked for a telescope, I was blown away. Blown away. And I, the first time I looked for a telescope, I was, I was 21, I think. Very first time. What size telescope was it? Uh, it was a it was a six inch reflector, so it was a decent size, um, and it was the very first because I, you know, you get the ones in the toy shops, don't you, that say you can get four hundred magnification and all this, and they end up being yeah. useless. So I thought I'll buy a six inch reflector because I I kind of was getting more into it then, and the first time I saw Saturn, I was absolutely blown away that I could be in my back garden and see that from my, my little telescope. It's in, incredible. It is incredible. And I remember seeing, you know, Andromeda Galaxy, you know, and wow. that's what, two and a half million light years away, yeah. the most distant object you can see. And you're seeing it as it was two and a half million years ago, you know, when, when there weren't any Homo sapiens around. Yeah. But I mean, I, I then went on, I mean, again, I've got no idea why my dad bought me that book. He left school when he was 15. He grew up during the war. He didn't have any education, but he bought me that book and it, it, it grabbed my interest. And I ended up being a radio astronomer at Caltech in California. And then I began to realise that actually astronomers hadn't actually looked through telescopes for about 100 years because once the photographic plate was invented, it's obviously much better at, at soaking up light than your eye. And, and basically astronomers don't really look through telescopes and certainly in radio astronomy, you know, you record an electrical signal and it gets you know you spent six months um, uh, analyzing it and 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 so the romance of of astronomy i didn't get from being a professional astronomer yeah yeah well you i mean what sort of stuff are you doing there at, at california with the radio astronomy well, 
that, that was another mistake, you see. Uh, <laughs> uh, I thought uh, quasars, these are fantastically interesting. You know, we now know they're, they're powered by supermassive black holes. Um, and I got involved with very long baseline interferometry. And this is the, we had a big telescope at Owens Valley, which is about five miles uh, drive north of Los Angeles in, in the desert. Yeah. And, and we, would, we would look at a, a quasar, the center of a quasar with this 40 meter um, dish. And then other people all over the world would be looking at the same quasar at the same time. And we'd all record the, the signals and they'd be flown together and they'd be, they'd be combined on a correlator, which is just like a supercomputer. Yeah. And we would end up synthesizing a dish the size of the Earth. So, you know, the bigger the dish, the, nice. the, the finer the detail you can see. But what I didn't realize is that, of course, these experiments took like six months to set yeah. up six months to reduce the data and then it would take me probably the, the lives of maybe three consecutive phd students to actually learn anything so one of the things that was discovered was superluminal motion you know so people put together their their maps they made of the center of a particular quasar over maybe 12 years and they saw that blobs of matter were being ejected at like 10 times the speed of light <laughs> which is an illusion by the way yeah but again that took lots and lots of graduate students so i, I was a very small cog in a very big wheel and and it kind of as i say it lost the, the, the kind of romance so i was there for about two years and, I, and then i thought maybe i should leave but i was fortunate when i was there to be taught by people like richard feynman you oh know, wow the the, the yeah. which was just a real, you know, what a fantastic thing that was. So I was a dropout, but uh, but, I, but I did gain something yeah. from it. Uh, I can only imagine, I mean, Richard Feynman is, is up there for me as, as a huge inspiration. I can only imagine what that must have been like. Uh, but he was actually he was actually recovering from cancer surgery at the yeah, time. Okay. So, so he was indulged and he could teach whatever he liked. Yeah. So he taught this course called The Potentialities and Limitations of Computers. So he was interested in... What are the physics, physical limits on computers? You oh, okay. know, how small could you make components? How fast could you make them? And it was during one of those lectures that I heard the, the phrase quantum computer for the first time because he said, eventually we're going to have transistors the size of atoms and we're going to need quantum theory to understand them. Yeah. So, uh, but, but he taught these lectures with a guy called Jerry Sussman from MIT. And the whole idea was that Feynman could pick his brains. So you could find yourself sitting in the audience next to Feynman. And whereas the average student would ask like, you know, one or two questions and then think, oh, I must be really stupid. He would ask 30 questions. It was like, he kind of assumed if he didn't understand, it was because the lecturer wasn't being clear. Yeah. You know? and, he, and he made really, really um, comprehensive notes. He didn't just jot down a, a, the average word. So yeah, it was a real thrill. And sometimes you catch something from the lecturer before Feynman. And that was probably because he was going deaf. But because of that, you like, you know, you walked around on cloud nine. Oh, I bet. I was gonna say, yeah, absolutely. I mean what I, I mean I've 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 read a lot of his stuff. Uh I've seen many of his his lectures on online. And honestly I, I can't think of anyone more um engaging in that sort of era than Feynman. He was. And, and then you wondered to yourself, why can't other physicists do it? Yeah. You know? I mean, he, he he could understand what it was like not to know. You yeah. Know? So he probably understood calculus when he was about eight or something, but he still knew what it was like not to know. And therefore he could actually explain it to people. So I, I never understood how it was that 95% of the academics didn't seem to remember what it was like before they knew anything <laughs> yeah. and, and, and were therefore totally incomprehensible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Amazing. T but, totally I'll just tell you one thing. I did go to one of his lectures where he talked for an hour, complete garbage. <laughs> and uh, what, what was the topic? Everyone was totally shocked. Completely what, what, shocked. What was the topic? Afterwards he was rushed. He was rushed to hospital. Oh God. Um, what had happened was the night before he bought one of the first IBM PCs and he was taking it out of the store and he tripped on the curb and he fell over and he hit his head. Oh. And all through the night and the morning, there'd been internal bleeding in his skull and the oh, pressure wow. had built up. Uh, and so when he went to hospital, they drilled two holes in his skull and they relieved the pressure. But uh, when he came back the following week, he was absolutely mortified. And I think he was so embarrassed because he knew that he was talking rubbish. Yeah. But he thought, I must be going senile. And what really annoyed him was that he, he that was so illogical because nobody goes senile overnight. So, yeah. Yeah. It's interesting wow. time. Interesting, interesting story. <laughs> I've never heard that story. Yeah.
Brilliant. Um, now, of course, uh, the way that I came across you, Marcus, is I, I reviewed your book, The Ascent of Gravity, on the channel, uh, and it really was a fascinating read. Can you tell us a bit about why you wanted to tell that particular story? Well, first of all, I saw you uh, reviewing it, and I was very impressed because I could see that you actually read my book. Yeah, absolutely. And that is surprisingly <laughs> unusual. Anyone who reviews a book, that is really unusual. Why do I want to write it? I was just interested in gravity. I, I was interested in the paradoxes of gravity. So, oh, okay. you know, it's the force that we thought that we understood or we've understood for 350 years since Newton, yet it's the least understood. You know, we, 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 we can't... We're pretty certain because the other three forces can be described perfectly by by quantum theory. Yeah, that it that it that it ought to be as well, but we don't know how to do it. So so there's that paradox that we you know it's the first force to be identified, but actually we still don't really understand it. And then there's the fact that it is so unbelievably weak. You know, I, yeah. mean, I think it's one followed by forty zeros weaker than electric force. You know, um, so I mean you, you you know that is that is amazing, and yet. That incredibly weak force on the cosmic scale controls absolutely everything because yeah. obviously whereas there are two types of electric charge you know uh, and, and you get repulsion and, and attraction uh so it can cancel out gravity just builds and builds and builds you know and, and then on the big scale it controls everything so the, the fate of the entire universe you know its origin it's, and its fate is all determined by gravity there's amazingly weak force so yeah that, that's what kind of interested me well I, I i was fascinated by it i mean i love the little bits and pieces in it like where he talked about the uh, uh hook and um uh thingy in the cafe discussing it all and having an argument i could i just imagine them in the cafe like kicking off of each other it was brilliant yeah yeah they had a bit of an argument didn't they yeah. and um and hook hook was very i think hook was quite secretive and he he said he knew that that gravity um weakened with an inverse square law you yeah know? so if you if you if you separate two masses to twice the distance it's four times as weak you know three times nine times as weak uh and and he wouldn't he wouldn't t tell halley was it halley and wren that's right that's it, halley days, wren, yeah. yeah they weren't just physicists or, or, or scientists you know you did a bit of everything you know you're an architect you're did all these other things as well and and Halley said well I, I, I'll sort it and, and he got on a carriage to, to Cambridge to ask Newton and of course Newton said oh yes I figured that out years ago uh, yeah. no 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 the, no that no no the actual uh, problem was was the what was the path of a massive body moving under the influence of an inverse square force okay and um, and and Newton, when he, when he when he got to Newton, Newton said, "Well, it's an ellipse, you know, uh, which was which was which was amazing. No one no one knew that, that that it had been observed by Kepler that the planets moved in elliptic orbits, but no one had an explanation from first principles, you know. Yeah. So Newton had got this law of gravity, and he could explain it. Uh, but then he, he he sort of looked through all of his notes, and he couldn't find it anywhere. Uh, and he said, "Oh, to Halley, oh, don't worry, I'll I'll, I'll rederive it." And nine days later, in London, Halley got the the manuscript that that kind of explained it and he wanted to publish it but newton said no 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 i've got lots more i've got lots more because <laughs> yeah. he spent the next what two years right in the principia and that went on to be which yeah. was the, you know, yeah. one of the great books in the history of science absolutely um which made his name really you know yeah. so so yeah so it's, it, it, it's, I mean, I mean, it's incredible that it was six it was the plague year of 1665 yes. 1666 yeah when, when newton was in lockdown that he came up with the law of gravity inventing calculus and all that kind of stuff and then he sits on it for 25 years until prompted i mean today you know you'd have to publish tomorrow or, or you'd worry that someone else yeah. would you know pip you yeah. to the post i once read that newton made up the story about the apple in a later interview almost certainly did make up the yeah. story about the apple yeah because it doesn't appear in any of his writings and he never spoke about it uh, but it was his biographer who came to uh, his house i think he was living in kensington at the time in my book i said it was actually lincolnshire but i someone corrected me afterwards <laughs> um and sat in, it was a uh, i can't remember what his name was um it'll come back to me uh, and and he sat in the garden with um, uh, Newton and said, you know, when did you go? You know, what happened? How did you come up with the law of gravity? Yeah. And Newton said, see that tree over there? You know, an apple fell from it and 
you know, Bingo. the rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> but, but you're absolutely right. But I think that you see, you have to remember about Newton, hardly any of his life was, was doing science. Yes. I mean, most of his life was analysing the Bible, doing alchemy, and of course he was master of the mint. Yeah. And I think at the time, Willie, uh, come to me, at the time that he um, was being interviewed by his first biographer, he was probably thinking like Tony Blair, you know, of his of his legacy. Yeah. You know, and he was trying to, you know, it's like, it's like Einstein never kept any of his working. You know, it always looks better if you suddenly just present a theory and nobody sees all the wrong directions that you've gone in, you know. Yeah. So I think Newton was a bit like that, really. Yeah. Um, the what was I going to say? Uh, it was something else I read about him. Um, oh, yeah, of course, most of his discoveries were before he was about 25, 26, wasn't it, as well? So it, most of it was all done, wasn't it, by then? Yeah. I mean, he was probably 20, 22, something like that. Yeah, wow. that's right. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and it could well be that he developed his ideas over a longer period of time but again, it was good to tell people that it all came to him, you know, sure, yeah. in 18 months of lockdown in 1665, 1666, because that, you know, everyone thinks, wow, what a genius. He came up with all these ideas. But of course, he may have developed them over a longer period yeah. of time. Yeah. And he was very much into, um, you know, writing his his own history, you know, and and, and making himself out to be a genius. Yeah. He obviously was a genius, sure. you know, but... Yeah. Uh, but a remarkable, remarkable. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But honestly, it's a it's a fascinating read. So I, I do I do uh, recommend it to anyone to have a look. And your new book, of course, which is on my reading list, Breakthrough. Um, it's about some of the biggest discoveries in science ever, isn't it? Yeah, I was just interested in 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 what I think is like the central magic of science, and that is that you can write down a mathematical formula, you know, on a piece of paper. On a, on a blackboard or a whiteboard and it predicts the existence of something that no one has ever suspected yeah. and people go out and find it and this is you know everything from black holes to the higgs particle to gravitational waves i mean this is just magic it's so magical that the scientists themselves can, can barely believe it so you know famously einstein did not believe two predictions of his 1915 mm. theory of gravity black holes the the universe would be evolving the big bang universe he didn't believe any of that yeah because it's just almost impossible to believe that these mathematical formulae you write down actually mimic nature so there is the real universe and then there's this mathematical twin that you can write down on a piece of paper and and nobody knows why there is this mathematical twin so that 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 um uh, is is incredible i mean in in the case of for instance peter higgs you know he he comes back from a camping holiday that he has the worst camping holiday in history because he went to the wettest place with his new wife in scotland yeah uh, someone had tipped him off that it was the driest place in scotland but they got it wrong <laughs> and he came back and he you know uh, he, he'd written a paper um a short paper and the editor had sent it back and said oh you know there's not enough in here can you predict you know can you can you put something else in and he added about one sentence and the one sentence was effectively there should exist this this particle which now we call the higgs particle yeah and 40 years later at a cost of five billion euros <laughs> there it is yeah and this is so amazing amazingly magical i mean the first instance of this I, I i recount in my book i mean i could be wrong but the first instance was the prediction of, of neptune which was sensational i mean arguably it was actually discovered by a man sitting at a desk with a quill pen yeah you know, and that never happened before in the history of science and it it really hammered home how powerful science really was yeah absolutely and kepler did a lot of that as well didn't he with the maths uh like mars's orbit and things like that he did but he was kind of like tended to be describing things after the event and yeah. This idea yeah yeah, yeah actually, he did yeah good point yeah. if you take the comparison of the planet uranus or uranus however you want to pronounce it you know it's found by axton yeah. and it was sensation because it doubled the size of the solar system in 1781 it was the first planet that the ancients you know the babylonians and the egyptians and they didn't know about it so it was a sensation but neptune that was predicted by man sitting at a desk and that was a sensation of a completely different order yeah. and then of course in uh, we've gone on and predicted existence of radio waves antimatter all these kind of things and and it is just still shocking because we don't actually know why the universe is mathematical well we've as a species we've done very well at harnessing that haven't we uh, so far 
harnessing it. The, the maths, yeah. yeah. we have. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I and mean, of course, it may not be mathematical. Of course, I yes. In, in my <laughs> Stephen Wolfram, who was, a, who was a bit of a billionaire, he's a Londoner, and he was writing physics papers when he was about 14. Uh, he made a... He, 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 um, uh, Made created a language called Mathematica. It's made made a lot of money for him, and he thinks that the universe is not mathematical. He uh, thinks okay. it's running very simple computer programs. Everything has been generated by simple computer programs that kind of uh, output. They put feed their output back in as their input, and they generate everything from a rose to a baby to a to uh, a galaxy. Okay. You know, yeah. um, and the, the the characteristic of this is that that you cannot actually find out what the universe is actually you know doing until you've run the program for 13.82 billion years but within this within this giant calculation uh, there are little islands where you can actually make a prediction you know okay. you don't have to run the program for that time there's a shortcut and those shortcuts are mathematical physics so he thinks we found the islands in this great ah, computation okay. So he thinks actually what most of the things the universe is doing, like life, like turbulence, all these things. I mean, most physicists would say, oh, we just don't have the tools. You know, mm. maybe in the 22nd century, we'll have the tools to do this. He thinks we'll never have the tools because it's it's not uh, basically uh, what he thinks the universe is doing is what's called irreducible computation. So you have okay. to actually go through the computation to the end to get it. But there are these islands of reducible computation which we've actually found. So that's an interesting take Very on it. You know, most physicists will be still trying to figure out, is God a mathematician? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm I'm very much looking forward to, to, to reading the new one. Uh, as I say, it's on the list, but I do have a very long list. Um, <laughs> but I mean, you've, I didn't know this about you. You dabbled in stand-up comedy as well, haven't you? How did that come about? <laughs> well, I, I, I really not, not much really, but I... Um, I did. I did a TV series called "It's Only a Theory" with yeah. Andy Hamilton and Reginald D. Hunter. I don't know if you ever remember it. Uh, it. It was actually one of the best things I ever did. Uh, they had uh, Andy Hamilton. He he wrote outnumbered and and created. I have I got news for you. He's okay. a comedy writer. Yeah, and he's just interested in science. And he had the idea of having um, a panel. It was like two comedians and some current affairs person, and they would grill someone who came on, and they would maybe in a half-hour program have two people. So they would have someone like me might might, might be talking about gravity, they might have someone talking about evolution, and and there was no there was no um, uh, he, he wasn't looking for for, for for gag he didn't have gags or anything he was just interested in finding out, but it, it was funny, um, and uh, I mean afterwards I did meet went you know talked to a producer and he done worked on QI and he said QI is great he said but. Five minutes after, you can't remember a single thing that you heard. <laughs> <laughs> but on this, you know, because everyone, the, the experts got about fifteen minutes. It yeah. was, um, it was, it was better, and it was very funny. I mean, I remember my face aching all the way through it. Unfortunately, Andy Hamilton got very successful about numbered, and and that, and it never continued after that. But then there was a, you know, the the, the comedian Robin, stand up comedian. Yeah, we've had him on variety nights. So, yeah, we've had him on the podcast. Yeah. Oh, we've had him on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so I've done a few of those, you know, that was a few years ago. So, you know, it's, it's stretching it really to say stand-up yeah, comedy. I, I tried to make it amusing anyway. Well, uh, Robin Ince said that he, he finds that he just has to talk about something uh, scientific that not many people know about, and then just the questions that come from it, it uh, you can get enough laughs out of that just from how ridiculous it sounds, even though it's true. Well, I suppose a lot of science is really... yeah. You know, bonkers, isn't it? Yeah. Really? I mean, the, the idea, for instance, that the universe pops into existence out of nothing 13.82 billion years ago, I mean, that's totally ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's completely bonkers. Yeah. Uh, so, so I can it's, completely, it's totally ridiculous. I completely understand it. You yeah. Know, and, then, and then, you know, the best the best theory that we have for, for something that unites the theory of the small quantum theory and the theory of the very big, Einstein's theory of gravity is string theory, you know, and, and you say, oh, well, there's, no, there's another six dimensions we've, we've somehow overlooked, uh, and they're very, very small, so we can't see them, you know. I mean, it does sound a bit ridiculous, really. Yeah, it? yeah, yeah. And, and of then... course, quantum theory, you know, literally, an atom can be in many places at once. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, it is stranger than science fiction. It is, it is. But, and I, and obviously, you're, you're, you're relying a lot on the, on the uh, general public's knowledge of science there, aren't you, with that sort of thing? What? How how do you feel about the the current general knowledge, uh, the scientific knowledge of the general public? Because I was watching, um, uh, what was I watching? Uh, the 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 big machine with the slot machine game with uh, Ben Shepard. What's that called? Tipping point. 
was watching, oh, I was, point, yeah, yeah, I was watching Tipping point, point, and the question was, what is the third planet from the sun? And uh, the lady said Mars, and I just, I just found that astonishing that that you could not know that. Well, it's not as bad as um, Sacred Dog of Ancient China, and the woman said um, Alsatian. Oh, <laughs> yeah, that's worse. <laughs> Instead of Pekingese, but so I figured, I, 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 you know, you could be right about, but but I, I, I did um, University Challenge a few uh, years ago, Christmas University Challenge. Okay. I mean, basically, they get famous people. I'm not famous, but but they they obviously on this program they get they get a university and they get some old. Um, and they had Bruce Bruce Thingy, who was the lead singer of Iron Maiden. Oh, Bruce yes. Dickinson. Mm. And they had Adrian Childs, because we went to Queen Mary College in London. And um, and obviously, they they, they always they got to have a, an English person, a, a history person, they need a science person. And of course, most science people, apart from Brian Cox, are not very well known. So I did it. But really, when you've got that spotlight on you, yeah. uh, you know, it is, it, you come off the program, I, I, I was... I thought, God, what happens if I don't answer a single question? That's going to be terrible, isn't it? So anyway, I managed to answer two, so I was so happy. Yeah. But then you get off the programme and all your relatives say, oh, I answered 14. <laughs> and you think, well, yeah, you did. But you, but you had plenty of time at home. Yeah. And I, was, I, had a, I had a light in my face, yeah. you know. Yeah. So I don't know about that, um, about people's knowledge of science. All I, all I know is that science when I was at school was very boring, you know. I mean, yeah. you mentioned astronomy before. I didn't even know that that was any way connected to science because it was never mentioned at school, you know. Yeah. And I read science fiction that kept me interested. You know, I learned a lot of science reading the novels of like Arthur C. Clarke. Um, and and so, and most of the kids in my school were switched off by it. Um, and and so, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I'd never had any really good science teachers, you know. So I, I, I don't want to criticize people because i think they probably don't and, and the other thing is when when you tell people things now and you tell them about the fun stuff they say well why didn't i learn that at school yeah, you yeah. know you know there's loads of exciting stuff absolutely um that would would grab kids interest well, but it doesn't obviously get taught in the curriculum no and cat, cats will tell you we talk about this quite a lot cats will tell you that uh um, um i know the curriculum well as well i used to do tutoring too but the astronomy stuff there's hardly any in the physics curriculum at all i mean you can take a gcse in astronomy but that's very rare that that happens um so in terms of what astronomy stuff there is it's very very limited it's all like pendulums and and uh you know energy transfer it's all boring to these kids in physics and yet, you know it's fantastically exciting you know we can see to the edge of the yeah. observable universe we can count up the, the building blocks, two trillion galaxies. We know it all burst into being, you know, in a Titanic explosion 14 billion years ago. Only in 1998 did we discover the major mass component of the universe, the dark energy, yeah. which accounts for two thirds of the mass of, of the universe. How did we miss that until 23 <laughs> years ago? You know, there's lots of exciting stuff out there. You know, there's a supermassive black hole in the heart of every galaxy. We haven't got the slightest idea why, no. how they got there. What their role is, but they're obviously central to to the you know the, the workings of the universe. We haven't got any idea. No, it is it is a shame. You're right about about this. I mean, my, I always think that that they I could be wrong. But when I was at school, science was taught kind of chronologically, so you had to learn all the Newton and the gas laws and everything. And by the time you got to the interesting stuff, that was the end. You know. <laughs> Uh, whereas, and, and it's like English, when I was at school, I had to read Nicholas Nickleby, Dickens' is Nicholas Nickleby Aye. when I was nine, and it put me off Dickens for about 20 years. <laughs> and now they've realised, give the kids Harry Potter, they yeah. get an enthusiasm for reading, they'll read all that stuff later. So we maybe need to give the kids the interesting stuff first, the mad stuff, and then fill in all the... Well, I've, I've, my stuff. biggest memory of English at school was, was uh, Lord of the Flies. I read. That's what I read at school. Well, and there is a connection between my work and that book. Oh, really? Because my publisher is Faber. Ah, And okay. Faber is the biggest, is the, is the main, uh, um, the, well, is, is the biggest independent publisher in Britain. And it exists because of a manuscript that was pulled out of a waste paper bin on a Friday night by someone. They thought, oh, I wonder what this, this manuscript is. And they took it home and it was Lord of the Flies. Wow. Fish so that's been binned by someone bin. who thought it was a load of rubbish. Wow. <laughs> when they did publish it, it yeah. it's always on 
school curriculum. It did all right, didn't know? it? Yeah. So it's probably <laughs> kept Faber going for years and years and years, but it got binned. Wow. That's a good fact. I like that one. Uh, <laughs> right. Well, the, normally, this is the time where we have a, a little break and Cats would, uh, we had a little segment called Cats Curiosity. So Cats would give us a bit of science news, but obviously he's not here. And also, he would be, he'd work in some way that he's writing a textbook for school. He always likes to get that in there that he's currently writing a textbook. So. Uh, we don't have to. We don't have to. Uh, we don't have to listen to that. Uh, so we'll move on now. As with all of our guests, we ask them if they've had an experience with flat earthers because that's what Cats and I do all the time on YouTube. Have you experience of what with flat earthers? Never. Never. Wow. Never. Never. I've I've been pursued down the street by people who think that um, uh, you know there were no moon landings. I've had oh, that. Yeah. That's a classic one, though, um, isn't it? Yeah. Is that is that a classic one? Well, um, and, uh, if you're a flat earther, you 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 also don't believe in. You actually don't. Some of them don't believe that space exists itself. So I didn't realise until someone responded to me on Twitter two days ago that the person who invented the word space was John Milton, the poet. And oh, okay. There's no reference to the word space before that. He was writing one of his poems, and he was trying to obviously think of a word for the universe and it was space then someone said no it was blaise pascal but that would have been roughly the same time so you know you think to yourself my god surely people have talked about space forever but no it was in the 17th century that someone invented oh, okay. the word anyway uh, that's interesting i guess because it was a big space <laughs> well i don't know i don't know i don't know, I don't know. <laughs> don't know. Um, yeah, maybe, so maybe he couldn't think of a word, and he and his wife said, "Why don't you leave a space, space for yeah. it and come up with a word later?" <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, yeah. So Katz and I we deal with flat earthers all the time on our respective right. YouTube channels, and um, so yeah, moon landing is one up there. They, they don't, none of them believe in the moon landing either. So kind of a, it's kind of a given. Some of them don't believe that space exists. So one of their biggest arguments is that um, they think that space is a is a second law of thermodynamics violation uh, because they think that the atmosphere should be sucked off the Earth. Um, and of course, they don't think gravity is a thing, so uh, we can't attribute the, the atmosphere to gravity. <laughs> um, well, I mean, it, it, it would float away without gravity. Yeah, yeah. Kind of, but, they, well, they're right. Oh, they don't believe in gravity. Yeah, so what do you, have, a, have an educated guess what they think uh, they're, they're attributing the effects of gravity to. I don't know. Something's pushing down on our heads, is it? No, they've come up with this thing uh, called density disequilibrium. So basically, dense things fall underneath less dense things, and that's the force that's keeping. That's right. their, that's that's their belief on what gravity. But isn't that isn't that kind of like um, the Greeks had that idea, didn't they? That they thought that things fell to their right level you know and, and they yeah. thought of yeah wasn't it earth water fire and air thought or to their level exactly and all, yeah so rather they always they all thought that these things had an intrinsic position that the place mm. they wanted to be you know the earth obviously had to be at the lowest yes um and it was kind of newton who's kind of smashed that idea i mean when you think of the, the genius of newton to think that there is a force between every piece of matter and every other piece of matter and and and, and really, to that, that idea of the apple, you know, I mean, obviously, he may have made that up. But the idea that the same force that, that, that you know, made that apple fall towards the earth is the same force that's causing the moon yeah. to be in orbit around the earth. So he first of all had to realise that the moon is falling, even though it doesn't look as if it's falling, it's falling. Um, and, and, you know, and before that, I mean, you know, everyone thought that there was there was the earth and then there was the the heavens which were ruled by angels and everything like that but to think that suddenly that a man of the 17th century whose father couldn't even write his own name yeah discovers a universal law that is a law that applies in all places in the universe and at all times i mean it's absolutely incredible isn't it and then when you think of how how uh, unscientific newton was because you know he 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 analyzed the bible he thought yeah. he could turn lead into gold um, and, and the other thing I, I find about sorry, back on Newton off, off of oh, no, that's fine. That he had to invent he had to invent the language. Yeah. So he had to he had to define a force. He had to define mass because unless you actually define these things, you can't really say anything. 
So you had to, you know, we, 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 we can, you know, scientists today, they can work with all these concepts because they already exist. Anyway, back to flat earthers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, <laughs> I, I was going to say social media is a big thing for them and, and it's misinformation is everywhere. And, and I notice you're quite active on Twitter. How much do you see of it there, the misinformation? Well, basically, it's misinformation about COVID, really. That's oh, at the, the moment, big, big time, yeah. Really. Yeah. I mean, I mean, the, I mean, it doesn't matter what you say about COVID. Someone's going to say something mad. Of course. You know? And and one of the things people say is this thing about, oh, masks don't do any good. And you think, well, it's a barrier, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it can't do any. Yeah. It can't do any harm. I mean. Even if it stopped one virus in 20 trillion or whatever, yeah. it's a barrier. Yeah. So it can't actually be. So, so I, I just don't know. And, 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 and I don't know. I mean, you know about conspiracy theorists. Whatever you answer, they, don't, they completely forget what you've just said and yeah. they come up with something else. Yeah, they'll have their something own agenda. Else. It's yeah. like a moving target. Is that yeah. what you find? Absolutely. Yeah, goalposts, moving goalposts all the time, all the time. Um, yeah, but one of the things, honestly, James O'Brien, you know, on LBC was yeah. very interested in conspiracy theorists. He did a, a phone in, and quite a few conspiracy theorists phoned in, reformed ones. So okay. he was very interested to know how they got into it and how they had become reformed. So they got into it in a this this is again mostly with COVID, in a, in a very interesting way. It's clearly obvious that our government lies to us. I mean, we have a prime minister who literally can't say anything that isn't a lie. You know, I mean, today he's lying that he he followed all the rules in a hospital where he didn't wear a mask in any photograph, and he was asked repeatedly by doctors to wear a mask. So he's lied about that. So of course, the end is yes, they're lying to us. And then someone, which is true, which is true, and then someone comes along and says yes, but they're lying to us about this as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then gradually. You know, so you're you're receptive to to the lies, you know. Uh, and anyway, one of the, one of the um, conspiracy theorists, he said, James uh, Brown said, "Well, how did you get out of it?" And he said, "Well, after a while, you know, I mean, none of my family or friends liked me, you know, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 and I realised this is ridiculous, you know, I've got to get out of it." And another one said, um, which really cheered up James Brown, he said, "A friend of mine told me to listen to your program." So James Brown was really happy about that because he thought nice. he at least changed his mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, but, but you know, they all talk about you know going down the rabbit hole, don't they? Really? Oh yeah, yeah. And at the moment, it's very divisive. There were people phoning in whose daughters, sons, parents have swallowed a lot of this. Uh, um, it's a shame, you know, uh, conspiracy stuff. Yeah, and it's really, really distressing. You know, because they've almost become an outcast. They can't talk to them anymore um and it, it i don't know it's like you 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 the brains of these people get caught in some endless spiral i don't know what happens you know the, the loop that they can't get out of yeah yeah i mean um it, it, it is so weird we we've had a couple of successes uh so there's a the tiny corner we of the have. internet oh, fantastic. yeah so our tiny corner of the internet that you've got us the the flat earth the bunkers and you've got the flat earthers and and everyone's <laughs> at each other all the time and and there's a couple of big threat earthers that have actually changed their mind. Uh, and one of them now is quite active in the anti-flat earth community. So he's making videos to try and debunk flat earthers. And the one that got him was uh, someone took a photo of um, Blackpool Tower with the, um, with the mountains behind it. And in the photo, Blackpool Tower was uh, taller than the mountains. And obviously the only way that's possible is if, if, the, if the earth is curved. And he... And he, he processed this picture till the cows came home and he finally came to the conclusion that I was wrong. I was wrong. I, Earth isn't flat. 100% it's a globe. And now he's out, you know, he's, he's, he seems so much happier, so much healthier. Um, you know, he, he's got a, a spring in his step. It's really, really nice to see. Oh, well, that's really good news, isn't it? Because yeah. it's, it's kind of almost like a, a mad obsession that takes it is. you over yeah. and can probably ruin your private life and, and everything oh, without you know, a doubt. It, yeah very it's very very weird it's funny because i don't know if you've read a uh, journal of the plague year which was written by daniel defoe no. uh, it was about the plague in london in 1665 okay. and he was writing about 50 years afterwards but he he writes about all the nutters and conspiracy theorists and and the really really shocking thing is that in the 21st century we're discovering that nothing's really changed yeah that is shocking. You know, that people are as irrational 
yeah. as they were then. You know, um, I wonder if you went back then and said to people, um, oh, we've got this vaccine, you don't have to die of bubonic plague. I would have thought most people would say, yeah, I'll have it. Yeah, you would. But, but incredibly, not, not today, you know. But I suppose, you know, because the death rate is, is only 1%, if, if, it was, if it was a, a death rate like Ebola and it was like 50%, then all the mad oh, people... Oh, they'd be, they'd be fighting to get it, yeah, yeah. They'd all die off, but yeah. they're not dying off, the mad people. I mean, they're preferentially dying off, obviously. You've got they're statistically much more likely than than anyone else, but not 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 to that extent. No, no. Yeah, it's a weird it's a weirdo thing, isn't it? And what so what do all these these um, flat earthers think about the, these things? You know, like I mean, obviously there's photographs from space, but they think they're faked. But but what about the fact that big oil tankers? You know, they 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 kind of disappear over the horizon. They don't shrink to a point. Yeah, they they come up with all sorts of new optical physics, oh. uh, the diffraction limits, and uh, someone even. Cr- created something called angle of attack which is like the angle that you're viewing it uh total total not they come up with all sorts of nonsense to do with uh the Rayleigh criteria and they bring that up as well it's just honestly they've We're sophisticated uh, have they not heard of Occam's razor no but, I don't think they have you know I mean for, for some reason that we don't understand um the simplest explanations uh, is often, very often yeah to be the yeah one. So, so this conspiratorial thinking then, is this, would you put this down to an educational failure or do you think it's more of an environmental thing? An educational failure? Um, yeah, I suppose I would, really. Yeah. It, it's the inability to weigh information, isn't it? You know, I mean, uh, and also to give equal weight to information coming sure. from sources that are, you know, not equally reliable, you know. So if you get, if you listen to someone who's got no axe to grind, uh, who maybe has some background for instance in in i don't know in, in astronomy or geology or something like that you know uh, who told you about the earth um and then you listen to someone who's got no background whatsoever the chances are that the person who you know has the scientific background is more reliable you know it's like i heard uh, dominic was it dominic uh, uh, nigel lawson he was on a today oh. program on bbc and i've got no idea this is years ago how they even let him on <laughs> Because, you know, he, he thought global warming wasn't ha- happening. He even said that the last 10 years have been the coolest on record. Wow. Um, they were the hottest on record. Uh, yeah. But, um, and, and why they had him on and they didn't have some climate, and if they had a, they didn't have a climatologist on, it was a, there was no balance. But if they'd had someone, who would you believe? It's like, you know, you hear, hear about COVID now. Do you believe a doctor or do you, or you believe some raving loony? But I'll tell you, that, tell you the really, really worrying thing and that is i've been for about at least a decade trying to wake people up to what's happened to the nhs i mean effectively it's just being run down and sold off i mean that's what's happening um and and trying to get people to wake up to this and come on marches or whatever is very hard yeah i've walked down um oxford street in the last year and you've never seen so many Mm anti-vaxxers and uh, and you know covid covid is a hoax people yeah i mean there are tens of thousands yeah, of them and I'm, i remember being on a bus in regent street and they surrounded the bus and they were banging on the windows and it, it was really threatening and you think well how come these people i mean they're obviously angry mm. okay so there's a lot of anger around there's a lot of anger but they don't seem to see who they haven't spotted who's the source of the anger you know uh who, who is actually uh, but they've gone for these spurious things you know so um it's quite scary that people can be that motivated oh, and, and, then, and i remember them all chanting take off your masks oh. well i mean but they, you know that if they don't want to wear a mask um in fact that isn't fine because they obviously can get, transmit yeah. the disease yeah. uh, they're more likely to get it which means they're quite likely to be in a hospital and and uh, overload you know the, the services uh, but but why they would want you not to wear one? Um, I mean that seems weird. Yeah, you know I mean, it is weird because if it doesn't make any difference, why would you want someone to take it off? Yeah, it's it's odd. Well, you're so, like you're yeah. like this one. So we we exposed one of these uh, these anti vaxxers uh, a guy called Mark Sexton. He was a retired policeman, and he went into a police station uh, in I can't remember what it was now, and he tried. Uh, opening a police report against the government and the vaccine minister and he brought to the table something called what he called the Slovakia report which was something about PCR tests having uh, some sort of microplastics in it that getting it was it was a total nonsense anyway one of our guys he 
did a deep dive into this PDF file, uh, figured out where it came from, and the source, a flat earther. Really? Yeah. So wow. so we kind of exposed, we basically said like, listen, mate, you've taken this for a Slovakia port, a flat earther's made it up, and you're you're going into police stations trying to bloom in, uh, but it didn't stop him. Of course it didn't. But what gets me is we are so unbelievably lucky to be alive today. I mean, yeah. because the kind of things that we know, previous generations would have died for, you know. Yeah. So as I just said before, we can see to the edge of the observable universe. We can see all the galaxies. We can see the building blocks, the galaxies. We know where it, roughly where it came from. We know where it came from because 99.9% of all the photons in the universe are the afterglow of the Big Bang, and we can pick them up. You know, I mean, before we had digital televisions, if you just tuned a, a, yeah. a television between the stations, one percent of that static came from the Big Bang. You know, so it's all around, and so we we just have these. We just know such interesting things that previous generations would have died for. So to try and to to, to you know to not be excited about that and try and just poo poo it all. Yeah, it, it seems it seems ridiculous. If I went back even fifty years and said to I don't know Wolfgang Pauli, you know. Do you know, I know some amazing things about neutrinos because, I mean, you know, in 1930, he predicted the neutrino. He said, I've done a terrible thing. I predicted a particle that can never be detected. And he bet a case of champagne that no one would ever detect a neutrino. And of course, now, we, now we've yeah. discovered that they the are tanks. amazing. I mean, yeah. they're the second most common particles in the universe, you know, after photons. You know, we, are, we live in a neutrino and uh, uh, photon universe. And, you know, neutrinos, we, we now know that they... They they have uh, masses, but we can't. It's not explained by the Higgs mechanism, so we need new physics to explain them. Um, and we know that they 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 they're responsible for. We're having this conversation because the interior of the Earth is warm, mm. and it's warm because of radioactive decay in which neutrinos are created. You know, the neutrinos are generated by the uh, the, the nuclear reactions that power the sun. Uh, we wouldn't be here because the heavy elements in our body, they would have stayed locked, in, locked inside stars if it wasn't for supernovae. Yeah. And about 100 times more energy is emitted as neutrinos than actual light. So, you know, I could go back and tell tell Wolfgang Pauli all these things about this particle that he, he detected, and he'd be absolutely amazed. He'd be buzzing. So he? I don't yeah. understand why people aren't, um, why they want to believe all this yeah, nonsense really when there's a lot of interesting stuff <laughs> well funny enough in a, in a recent poll um it transpired that half of the uk population believe in at least one conspiracy theory over a quarter think the world is run by a secret group and one in five believe we've already made contact with aliens does that surprise you it does a bit it is a bit depressing one in it, five really? i thought that was really high yeah, yeah, I'm thinking the, the, the worst thing is I think America has has a really high proportion who, oh, yeah. of people who believe in alien abductions. Yeah, big time. In UFOs, in all this kind of stuff. And that's probably, you know, the, the most high-tech country in the world, you know. So, yeah, it, it is it is a bit worrying. But then, then maybe, you know, how long have we even been civilised? You know, I mean, mm. we've only lived in cities for maybe 5,000 years. You know, the, 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 the Homo sapiens have been around, we think, probably for, you know, half a million years or more. Um, I mean, and, and we, you know, we only invented writing about 5,000 years ago. Um, science, really, is only in the last, what, since the 17th century, really. years or so, yeah. Um, no, I mean, you know, it's a very thin veneer of, of rationality on top of, you know, yeah. instinct and irrationality yeah. you know yes that's um, a very fair point i mean it's not long ago we were burning witches mm. we were you know doing all these things i mean some people still believe in witches so may maybe maybe we were too hard on ourselves you know um uh, you know we are creatures of instinct really and 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 sometimes our rational brain um isn't enough to, yeah. to to overrule those 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 old ideas. Yeah, I think you're right. So yeah, so basically, as long as they're as long as they're harmless, cut them a bit of slack. Is that what we're saying? Yeah, as long <laughs> yeah. as they're harmless, I, I don't really mind. I mean, yeah. the moon one is relatively harmless. Yeah. Let's face it. Yeah, it is. It is relatively harmless. <laughs> the, the only problem the only it, problem we have with with uh, with flat earthers is it just seems to be a very uh, good gateway conspiracy to to to, to many others. Uh, if you seem to fall well, into that crowd, what I'm saying is, you know, this this idea that we can't trust the government is a gateway. Oh yeah, to the first conspiracy theory. But you're saying this is a gateway to yet more. Gateway, oh yeah, more this, this is 
It, yeah, this leads on to many. Like, there's a there's a well known flat earther who's a Holocaust denier. Um, so you know, it's it, there's there's so many routes that you can take from being a flat earther. Yeah, and it just such seems a shame, you know. I mean, for most of history, most people have not actually really known much that's correct mm. about the world they live in. You know, they have to they have to have creation myths. Yeah. They, you know, they 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 imagine demons and things in the dark forests at night. Because remember what transformed everything was the you know the, the electric light bulb you know mm. the killer app of the electrical age which is probably only about 100 years ago and then suddenly we you know we can banish the night you know so it, it's such a, a a shame that that people uh are still stuck really yeah, it uh, is sorry, i've lost the track of what i was saying it is uh, it's fun. We, were, we were just we're, oh, sorry, we're just we're in our we're in, we're in a downer about how uh how ridiculous it is that so many people are following conspiracy theories um but anyway yes. marcus it's been a pleasure uh, we normally by now would play something called the scientist game uh where you would face off against cats uh but obviously he's not here so we can't do that which is fine because he's getting on his high horse because he's in the lead i think he's seven four up uh so what i would have done is read some facts about sci a scientist in chronological order and the first person to get it was right funny enough you mentioned the light bulb but it was going to be faraday that's that's who the scientist is. Yeah, well, so. he's one of my heroes, Faraday. Because oh, you would have got it early then. His house, well, where he was, well, the place where he was um, apprenticed as a bookbinder when he was fourteen. I walked past that quite regularly. Ah, he's so one of my heroes. You well. could have got it then at the second clue. The second clue is left I school. Got it at the second clue. Yes. Left school in eighteen oh four and started to work as a bookshop delivery man. I reckon you would have got it from that. I would have done. Yeah, yeah. Got the golden ticket. Yeah, like, we'll give uh, you the Harry, point. Like uh, Charlie in the Chocolate Factory. Yeah. Yeah, we'll give you the point. Someone came in. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I don't know. Yeah, Michael Faraday. I, I, I love Michael Faraday. I got to be in his bedroom the other week. Oh, wow. Um, I went to the Royal Institution. I mean, this is another weird coincidence. The Royal Institution was started a long time ago. It's in Piccadilly. Yeah. Um, and sorry, I've just got to make sure my laptop doesn't discharge. Uh, and uh, it's always historic. I mean, it, it, it's probably, I mean, you know, I'm sure. Uh, the greatest concentration of scientific discoveries anywhere in the world. There's no place with, I mean, 10 chemical elements, yeah. 14, I think, Nobel Prizes, all in this one building, and there's nowhere else in the world like it. Uh, and in the, day, in the days of, of Humphrey Davy and Faraday, um, obviously, they did frontier research. You know, the, the first electric motor was made there, you know, the first dynamo. Um, you know, basically, Faraday invented the electrical age there. But since, you know, it, all this research has kind of tailed off and it really, really is just the teaching. I mean, Faraday used to do the teaching. He started the Christmas lectures for children, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Now it's basically just, uh, uh, you know, science communication. However, in the last year, the London Mathematical Institute has moved in. And this is a Caltech okay. um, funded organization. So I, I, by coincidence, went to Caltech in America, and now Caltech has taken up residence at the at the, at the institution. And, they, and they're, they're actually doing research that doesn't require any equipment. So they're, they're theorists, and they're working on string theory and all this kind of stuff. Uh, so actually, it looks like the Royal Institution will start actually, you know, producing results again, again which, is, yeah. which is absolutely fantastic. Yeah. But it's just one, you know, so I was there the other week and wow. because it was a, a lecture by Roger Penrose, who, who got the Nobel Prize for uh, black holes and obviously did all that work in the 60s with Stephen Hawking. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, afterwards there were drinks and I, I got to go in Faraday's bedroom and his, 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 his quarters and everything. Brilliant. Um, it, I just, it's, it's just fantastic, really. I, I, he, you know, what, what gets me about, about him when he, when he had that electric, created the first electric motor, it's in a, it's in a laboratory in the basement and uh, you can walk in there anytime, just go and see it. And, um, you know, there was this thing whirring around and outside there were carriages, you know, horse-drawn carriages clattering across the cobbles, you know. And this is like a, you know, piece of the future just falling through like a crack in time, you know, into Victorian yeah. London. You know? and, and, and apparently Faraday was with his um, nephew, George, and they danced around the, the laboratory table. They were so euphoric. And they went off to the circus to celebrate. Nice. How amazing that. I just had this this weird idea, just the only electric motor in the whole world. At that time, I mean, yeah. 
incredible, incredible isn't it yeah and then he yeah. was humiliated later humiliated by the scientists of his day because he was self-taught and he had no mathematical background you know? right. so anyway wow. that was no, michael that's, faraday that's good yeah <laughs> i, 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 had, a, I had a similar honestly i had a similar opinion i went to go see uh william herschel's house in bath um Oh, and you've seen that. Yeah, you can, go, you can go in his house and go in his back garden. They've got the, like, the telescopes used and everything. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant it was. Oh, well, I got to go once when I was at New Scientist. I got to go to um, Super Kamiya Candy, which is in Japan. It's a oh, neutrino okay. detector. It's in oh, cool. Yeah. And, uh, I, and they took me into this chamber, and it was the chamber where they detected 11 neutrinos from a supernova. Wow. You know? So the only, the only neutrinos that ever picked up from anything beyond the sun came from supernova 1987a wow and i thought that was pretty amazing yeah but, that is amazing yeah awesome now william i'd love to go to william because brian may of queen is the um patron isn't it of yeah william herschel Museum, yeah i think um it, it was great but what it, what was sad is, is there was hardly anyone there that's that's what i know i mean yeah. how, people don't seem to think no. they, they don't seem to realize that um it's right there um you know, uranus was discovered from a garden yeah in bath yeah you know helium was discovered from a garden in wimbledon <laughs> by uh norman lockyer uh who was observing the sun during a total eclipse and he picked up helium um you know which is the second most common element yeah, in the yeah. whole universe and he found it from wimbledon um, I don't know. It's it's it's, it's yeah. It's a shame, isn't it? Yeah. The most interesting place I don't know if you've ever been is the, is a bog in the middle of Ireland. No. Uh, have you ever been to Burr? Been no, I've only ever been to Dublin. Oh well, even Irish people do not know about this. But the centre of world astronomy for about 60, 70 years in the nineteenth century was Burr. Okay. Because the law there, uh, Lord Ross, built the Burr Leviathan. And this was the biggest telescope in the world. And it was built before the age of electricity. So his farm laborers used to move it around the sky on chains and pulleys. Uh, uh. And he discovered the spiral nebulae. You know, he, did, he discovered that, there were, that the galaxies were, were spiral, many of them were spirals. Um, and, you know, how many people know that before the center of world astronomy moved to Southern California, when they built Mount Wilson telescopes yeah. on Mount Wilson, the center of world astronomy was was a bog in the middle of ireland and when i went there i i met the man who was the pilot of the vomit comet you know the the nasa yeah uh airplane they used to train the, the astronauts i mean they took hawking up if, uh, a few years ago uh you know the one that goes up in the air they cut yeah the yeah that's that's how the flat earthers describe the iss that's what they say they film it in one of them oh yeah oh <laughs> well anyway so he he you know he, his lifelong ambition was to see this telescope you know wow. And I think, God, you know, if this has been in America, it'd be a theme park by now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I have never spe spoken to an Irish person that knew that, that that this telescope is there. You know. Wow, I didn't know that either. That's that's fantastic. Um, <laughs> it, was not a good it was not a good place to to uh, do astronomy, but I mean, when you go there, all the lawns are actually mowed in spiral patterns. Like ah, spiral okay, cool, galaxies. nice. Nice. Yeah. Love and, it. and he was, he was English. He was married to, I think, an Irish woman. I think she had the money and um, he fed people during the famine. And so when, when there were riots and all the English uh, houses were burnt down, his was not burnt down. So. Ah, okay. Nice. He was. Very good. Yeah. Anyway, Marcus, it's been an absolute pleasure. Honestly, I could chat, chat to you all evening. It's like being at the pub, having a few pints and having a, a, a chat about science. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining us um so well, we so much, we can find you on twitter at is it at marcus chown is that the twitter handle that's right marcus yeah we'll chown. pop that underneath we'll pop the link to um uh center of gravity and break is breakthrough out yet yeah yeah yeah, yeah. we'll pop the link called, for that as well and, um, uh i've got a website which is www.marcuschown.com perfect yeah breakthrough unfortunately got changed its name between the paperback and the hardback because the oh, really? hardback was published on the eve of lockdown so every oh. single publicity event was actually uh, cancelled it was called the magicians so the publisher then thought well let's we'll have another go with the paper can we change the title but of course the problem there is no matter how many times you say on social media for god's sake <laughs> don't buy the book twice yeah. Yeah. there's always someone who puts a a, a, a zero star review on amazon saying, yeah it's same bloody book. same yeah. book <laughs> you know, 
<laughs> what can you I, do? I don't know what you do. What can you do? I know because the publisher didn't put it in very big print. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah. Uh, we'll put all, we'll put anyway, the links. For... It was so nice to talk to you, yeah, and I'd same. like to be to do that thing with cats sometime. Yeah, we'll do it. Don't worry. We'll have you back on the next one, and we'll we'll do that. Um, but anyway, we're done for this week. Next week, we've got uh, hopefully uh, Flat Earth Buster Pilot Wolfie. He's going to come on and have a chat with us. Um, but until then, we're done. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. <laughs>